Okay, welcome back for another year of Parshas HaShavua. And uh, since we didn't have class last week, per se, on the Parsha, I want to pick up on a couple items from last week's Parsha, and there's about two or three interwoven topics I want to choose that may, as time allows, and I've picked an ambitious uh, uh, amount of ground to cover today, we'll be able to get a little more clarity as to why everything is going on, at least understanding everyone's perspectives here. So let's go, let's just touch on two items from last week's Parsha. In the first source, after the sin of the Eitz Adas, you'll notice something very unusual. Hashem approaches Adam in source number one and says, Who told you you are unclothed? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman that you gave me, uh, She gave me from the tree and I ate. Hashem said to the woman, What have you done? But Tomer Yishah, the woman said, The snake compelled me, enticed me, and I ate. Hashem says, Because you did this, You are going to be cursed from all the animals and all from the and all the wild beasts of the field. You'll go on your belly, and you will be eating sand all your life. Now, you notice something a little different in the approaches to Adam and Chava versus the approach to the snake? Yeah. Yeah. He gave Chava a chance to explain. He didn't blame them. He punished them, like there and then. He he asks Adam, what happened? Did you eat from this? And then he says, well, my wife did. Then he goes to the woman. He says, what's this? Why does he go to the snake and say, what's this? Because they don't have a soul. The snake what? doesn't have a soul. So Adam and Hala have a soul. The snake doesn't have a... So then why are you punishing him? Good point. Uh... <laughs> he can't punish unless he had some free will choice. Anyway, so that's one question we'll just put to the side for now. Having to do with last week's Parsha. And also, something we mentioned in the Shabbos morning class last week, when it talks about Cain and Hevel, it talks about their professions. It says, he Hevel roetzon, and Hevel was a shepherd, but Cain hoya ovedadoma, and Cain was someone who worked the field. Why by Hevel does it say vayehi, and by Cain it says hoya? It should say vayehi by both of them, vayehi Hevel roetzon, and he was. Or Hoya was. They're, obviously, Vayahi and Hoya are not the same things. Why did that change? Those are two items we'll just put on the back burners so it's not forgotten Parsha's Brashis. Uh, but now we're going to move on to Noah, and that's the primary issues. So if I run out of time answering all the questions, these two first questions will be left by the wayside. But let's touch on a number of issues here. Hashem uh, is saying that, you know, he's going to destroy the world. 
And in source number three, he says, For the earth was full, become full of robbery because of them. So again, here is the first source of Hamas from the Torah. You see, Hamas, this is what Hamas is. It's Hamas. So there's the word there. So that's already an instant connection. So what is this idea of the robbery over here? So Rashi says, for the earth became full of robbery, source four, Kimolar is Hamas, their verdict was sealed only because of robbery. Okay, now the Torah says a lot of bad things this generation did, but their verdict was sealed only because of robbery. So the Medrash Rabbah wants to find out what was exactly this robbery that was happening over here. So the Medrash Rabbah asks... What's the difference between Hamas and Gezel? They both seem to be words of robbery. Hamas is something you steal worth less than a penny. But theft has been less worth a penny. What's going on? The people of the generation of flood, they did this. A fellow who's trying to sell his items. It was uh, a basket filled with beans. And this guy would take one bean. He'd go in Soviets and sample a grape. Right? Okay. And then what happens? And the next guy would take less than a penny's worth. And a hundred people did that. A thousand people did. The guy had no, nothing left, an empty basket, but he couldn't take him to court because nobody stole at least a minimal amount of some kind of currency. You didn't act properly. I will not act properly with you. And he quotes a number of psukim that describe that idea. So the question is, we know that the generation of flood were very, very wealthy people. The Midrashim talk a lot about the fact that, um, you know, before the flood that uh, people planted once and it was good for 20 years. They were unbelievably wealthy people. So what are they doing stealing something worth less than a penny? I mean, who bothers with such things if you've got so much wealth? It doesn't seem to make any sense. People are so wealthy to do such a thing like this. Okay. And, uh, and for example, we know um, the, uh, when Lot had to decide where he wanted to go, it says he looked up and he saw the area of stone and it was an incredibly fertile land. So... And yet we see, for example, they would not allow poor people to live in stone. 
okay, you know, certain things like this. So we see that people had like a lot. So if you have a lot, so why why are you stealing, you know, pennies over here? So that's an interesting question, and that and for that the decree was finalized. That's like the straw that broke the camel's back. Just taking grapes and sobies. Hard to understand. Okay, let's continue. Source number six. When uh, Noah was told to make the ark, it says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with compartments. Okay, so first of all, an interesting question has to be asked. What is the typical word for a boat in Hebrew? Aniyah. Aniyah. Aleph nun yud hey is the biblical word. What would be another biblical word for a boat? There's another one. Svina. Svina. Here it's called a teva. Literally, what's a teva? A box. She got two words that are more uh, uh, navally orientated. I don't know if that's the right word. And um, and use the term box. Why use a term of box when you have better words for a boat? After all, it did function like a boat, an ocean liner for that matter. All right? So that's another interesting question. Like a cruise ship. Yeah. But why not, like why not just use a regular statement of a boat? Okay. And then the Medrash in source number seven. And the words, Vayomer Hashem Lenoach, Hashem said, Noach, Bo Atovachal Beischal Teva, you and your family should go into the Teva. So the Medrash comments on this, always will bring other psukim to reference this. So Ksiv, it says in Tehilim, to Abed Dovre Chazov, destroy those who speak falsehood, Ish Domim, uh, and Hashem abhors a man of bloodshed and deceit. So what is that, the connection over there? So the Medrash gives a number of interpretations, but the last one is, another one is, destroy those who speak falsehood. It's speaking about the generation of the flood, and they spoke false speech. So, again, the measure seems to be focusing on something that was really des- deserved their destruction. And again, from all the terrible things that they did, immorality, theft, all these terrible things, you pick a relatively minor sin of lying as a reason to be destroyed. And moreover, it's not even one of the seven Noahide laws that they violated. So it's interesting why they're picking these types of things. We already see taking robbery of less than a penny and lying seem to be reasons while there's so much more powerful reasons to bring out from here. So why is the magician doing this? Source number eight has a very interesting halacha. Let's say you make a deal with somebody and we know uh, according to uh, rabbinic law, let's say I pay someone for something uh, but the fellow has not yet acquired the item. Let's say I buy a cow from somebody. I give him the money, 
but he hasn't come and taken the cow yet. So interestingly enough, you come back out of the deal according to the letter of the law. Even though you paid, you gave your word, you're going to sell it, you come back out of the deal. The guy gives me the money, but he never came and took the animal. I could say, here, take your money back, the deal's over. I got a better deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to biblical law, but look what the Talmud says in Source 8. But the sages said, with regard to one who reneges on a transaction where one party pulled the gold dealer into his position, they say the following. He, it's, it's, he who exacted payment from the people of the generation of the flood and from the people of the generation of dispersion and from the inhabitants of Stom and Gomorrah and from the Egyptians in the Red Sea will in the future exact payment from whoever does not stand by his statement. Wow, that's a very strong comment. And it's brought down in Shulchan Aruch in source number nine. I'm sorry, I don't have English for that. Kate, it's called a Mishapara. Mishapara, he who paid back. If you're really upset with somebody in the, so the Yiddish expression is you give him a Mishapara. <laughs> give him a Mishapara. He should be paid back. So it says, Kate said, Makabal Mishapara. How do you work this? So he's taken, so the guy backed out. There's no legal recourse. But yet the Bezdin curses him. He goes to the Jewish court. Orna Soba Bezdin. They curse him in court. And they say, Mishapara. That's the same thing that the Talmud says. The one who paid back the generation of the flood, the generation of the dispersal, the generation of Stom and Amora and Egypt who drowned in the sea, he will pay back someone who does not stay by his word. So what is the connection between all these four eras and a person who doesn't keep his word to make it such a terrible sin? Okay, another another couple more issues here. Um, when Noah builds the teva in source number 10, Hashem tells him to take from the animals that are kosher <laughs> and from the animals that are not kosher. So the Talmud in Pesachim in Source 10 says, a person should never express a crude matter. Don't say, you should be careful what comes out of your mouth. Because the Torah went out of its way to distort eight letters rather than to speak in a crude manner. Because the Torah says, Min ha he took from the pure animals, asher and from an animal that is not Torah. Now that's a very long way of saying something you could have said shorter. Could have said what? Yeah. And you save yourself eight letters. And remember, in the Torah, every letter counts. So, okay. That's a nice message. But we know that Reb Tzadok HaKohen says that whenever you see something for the first time, that's the core, that's the essence. So, this is the first time the Torah is choosing to teach us this lesson of not speaking in a crude fashion. So, why do we need to learn the lesson over here? As opposed to somewhere else, Hashem could have put it somewhere else. Uh, wh- why couldn't He just? Why couldn't He? You know, a lot of times it will say Tmeya. So why why is the message specifically put over here? 
Okay, and the last and final question, which will get us to start to get to the core of all these issues over here, is a medrash in source number 11. And the words, Eilat told us Noach, so we have a Pasuk in Mishle that says, Base Rishoyim Yishamed. The house of the wicked will be destroyed. The Ohel Yishorim Yafriach. But the house, the tent of the upright will flourish. What's that talking about? He's saying, Base Rishoyim Yishamed. The house of the wicked will be destroyed. Zedor Hamabul. That's the generation of the flood. The Ohel Yishorim Yafriach. And the tent of the righteous, uh, of the straight, will flourish. Zenoach. This is Noach. So the obvious question that you see right away, what's, what difference do you see in that Pasuk? What change do you see? They don't use a home for both. They use base. Yeah, one's a home and one's a tent. Tent is temporary, and now is something for uh, solid. Okay, okay, good. So a tent is something temporary, and a house is solid. So what's what's the message over here? So we're going to start by answering this question and work our way backwards, so to speak, and we'll hopefully build one point upon another point. Says the Vilna Gong, and it's really what the theme of the class is all about, how your worldview shapes your truths. And that is really what we're going to be, what is happening now in the world completely here. The Vilna Gon says wicked people, they, they define this world as their primary place of existence. And they live as if there is no world to come. And therefore, their place where they live is called a bias, a house, because a house represents, as Shmuel said, permanence. But tzaddikim, who live according to the Torah, they know that this world is only a temporary dwelling that just serves as a portico to reach the ultimate eternal world of Olam Abba. And therefore, they refer to their lives as an ohel, a tent, because it's only temporary. Okay, now, even though the wicked live in this world as a temporary place, but what's going to happen to their world that they think is so temporary will ultimately be destroyed. And the tzaddikim who live in this world in a temporary way, their tents in the future will flourish. And that's what he's saying. Base Rishoyim Yishomei. The house, as strong as the house may be, as permanent as it be, for the Dor Hamabel, the Rishayim, they got wiped out. But the tents of the upright, they flourish. And that's Noach. And that's, it's very interesting, and that's why when we walk into what the statement of uh, Bilam when he saw the Jews, it says, Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov. How goodly are the tents of Yaakov. And we see this idea as we'll be going through Sefer Breshis so many times by Avram Avinu. Next week, it's going to keep talking about Avram is always in an ohel. He's always in a tent. Yaakov and Rachel and Leah were always in tents. As it says, Lovin went from the tent of Yaakov to the tent of Leah 
to the tent of Rachel, etc., etc. Even you go later on when the famous battle with uh, Dvorah and Barak against Sisra, and when Sisra runs away, he goes to the the tent of Yael. As Tvorah says, Minashim Ba'ohel Tevorach. So it doesn't say, Minashim Babayis Tevorach. Okay, Yaakov Avinu, when he were, is described in the beginning in, as opposed to Esav, he's called the Yoshev Ohalim. He lives in tents. The Yeshiva of Shev, Yeshiva of Aver. Even though they were Yeshivas, but they were still called tents. So what happens? What happens to people who feel that their world is a permanent world? And where they live, they treat it as a home. Your home is your castle. The end is, base Rishoyim Yishomei, King Solomon is saying, the house, the, etern- the permanent structures of the wicked will be destroyed. And people like Noah, who live in tents, will flourish. And therefore, the point that I marked down over here is only someone who lives temporarily in this world and distances himself from lusts and clings to Torah will blossom in Olam Haba. That's point number one. But now, so now we already begin to see what's going on in the world. As we're coming to the first really uh, world-shaping event of history. Breshis, we didn't get to world events. We got to Autumn, Kava, Snake, Cain, Hevel. Okay, towards the end, it's getting bad. But now we're coming to Noah, we're coming to the climax. So we see that the Medrash is saying there are two worldviews out there that you have to realize. Now, one seems very tempting to have a permanence in this world, but he's saying that permanence will ultimately be destroyed. While the ones who look at this world temporary and realize that there is another world and live for that other world, they are the ones who will flourish. So that's point number one as we see. And that's what the Medrash is telling us, is, is opening up the whole agenda over here by saying, Ela told us Noah. This is what this Parsha is telling us, this message. So now, so ultimately, what it's really saying is, well, if it happened the first time, it's going to happen again. The world, those who are looking at the world as a permanent reality must be destroyed. And those who look at the world as a temporary reality, because the real world is Olam Haba, and we're just passing through this world, those are the ones who are going to flourish. So these are the two world views. Eventually, it's supposed to develop to be Judaism, obviously, and the rest of the world's world views. But it's already starting in this week's Parsha. Now let's take a look at the Mesil Sharm, who now takes it to, well, what happens? What happens to people who have these worldviews? So one of his most famous statements, as he says in chapter 5, where before the first step in Avodah Hashem, uh, he remember the Mesil Sharm has the 15-step program that's the hero's watchfulness, you know, brings to alacrity, and alacrity brings to this step and step. But first says, Torah maybe leads the heroes. Torah brings you to watchfulness. So Nasil Sherm says like this. 
he says, so he brings an analogy. He brings an analogy to a doctor. Tells a sick person, you're a sick person. Here is the prescription. Here's the medicine. If you take the medicine, you'll be fine. If not, you won't. So how foolish would the person be to say that I'm not taking the medicine? Well, Gemara says, Hashem says, Barasi Yetzirah, I created a Yetzirah, which is about as poisonous as you can be. And Barasi Torah Tavlin, I created a Torah that is an antidote to that. So on that, the Masil Shram continues, is where I'm putting the source. He says, Kein it's in Hebrew and English, <coughs> No one can really recognize the illness of the Yetzirah and its power, Hamutbobo, that is established inside of him. Elaboro, Shabaro, except the creator who created the Yetzirah. Shem created the Yetzirah, and Adam, through his foolish mistake of eating the Yetzirah, brought the Yetzirah into his system now, brought the poison into his system. It's interesting, there was really no Torah until Adam sinned. There'd be no need for Torah. No need for Torah. Because the Yetzirah before Adam sinned was outside of himself. He, he didn't have the illness, he didnn't contract the illness called Yetzirahitis. Yes, that was the terminal illness. Chronic illness, we'll call it. It's a terminal and chronic illness. So Hashem said, but the only medicine I have, right, is to take the Torah. That's the, that is the antidote for this. So he warns him, that's the refuah. So, who would be crazy enough to take something else? Mm-hmm. So therefore, the, the darkness of the physicality will grow inside such a person. The HR is going to take more and more space inside of him. And he won't realize it. He won't understand it. Actually, until he's totally sunk in an evil. And here's the critical words. He'll be so far away from the truth. That even thoughts of seeking the truth will not enter his heart. He's saying a person without Torah will be so steeped in the Yetzirah that he'll never even think of trying to change. He can't imagine that changing would be of any use to him. But if he toils in the Torah and he sees its ways, the commandments and warnings, he may solve self. At the end of the day, may Allah Eventually, a renewal will awaken within him. She availed Erechatov that will bring him to the way of goodness. Okay, so what? what so we see the continuation of this. Point one was only a person who lives temporarily in this world and distance. Now, if you now, what's that difference? If you live permanently in this world, you want everything in this world. This is your world. This is it. You want every lust you could have. You don't want to be told how to use this world. So ultimately, you're going to be destroyed. That's what happened with the, the model. 
But if on the other hand you're living in a tent, you understand it's a temporary world, and you want to be guided by the Torah to tell us how to navigate this world, you will survive. But now comes the second step the Basil Shorim is saying, that if you are trying to follow a life of permanence here and following all your desires, then you'll never be able to even have thoughts of doing truth. And that's why it's, it's foolish for people not to, do, not to study Torah. With this, we begin to understand things. So in the same way, they bring a, a story, and who's the rabbi told the story? Rav Shlomo Brevdo, the Sikron of It was uh, many years ago, he went to uh, visit uh, New York, to, I guess to fundraise for his yeshiva in Israel. And this was many years ago, but this, has happened, this happens all the time. California seems to have a lot of national natural disasters. Fires, almost every year, like tons of fires. Uh, quite often they have earthquakes, droughts, and then floods, mudslides, over and over and over. So, Brevda, so he's in a taxi in New York, and a taxi driver turns on the news. So they're speaking to the, uh, what's Rosh Machlekes Habnia. What do you call that in English? The head of construction. 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 Of Los Angeles. They're interviewing the guy, head of construction. Okay, and they ask him, how can you explain all these like catastrophic events that are going on in California in such a short time? I guess it was years ago. It was like, Mom, it's very close together. You have fires and earthquakes and floods and droughts and everything. So the guy in charge said, no, it's very interesting, all these things. But you know what? We'll be able to contend with it. A new nismoded imze. Yeah. Right, and uh, and and he and he says, and that's that that's ubezos tam hareyayon. How would you translate that? Tam hareyayon. Concluded the interview. That's the end of the interview. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. So Rebbe thought to himself, why didn't it come to this uh, government official the idea that maybe all the problems they have is a punishment from God? Right? Even, even if there's no prophet who came to California to warn them about it. But I mean, California is one of the most spiritually corrupt states in, in America, especially California, especially Southern California. Right? It's Hollywood's there. All the worst corruption is coming from Hollywood. Epis, you don't, you don't like think about this? But then again, on the other hand, if and what would happen if beforehand a prophet would come to California and Kaka tell me, so says the Lord, in 40 days, California will be destroyed if you don't do tshuva. They will kill him. Right? And then, and then in November, there are fires. And then in December, there's earthquakes. And in January, there's uh, mudslides. And all this is happening. And why aren't you doing tshuva? You saw what's going on. 
But there nobody comes to California. So why should they think about this? All they could say is, we have to contend with it. We'll contend with it. And that's why the guy gets paid. He gets paid all this money to contend with this. Okay. And, uh, and everybody, you know, gets poorer and poorer. And they suffer all these things. So I guess, and what becomes the lesson? The lesson is you should make sure you always have a lot of supplies. Recommend you have a lot of bottled water, a lot of canned goods, a lot of candles, a generator, all these solutions. Right. Now, but before the flood, this is exactly what happened. Noah comes along and he tells the generation, you got to do tshuva. And if you don't, Hashem will bring a flood. You're going to be totally destroyed. And the guy's building a, is building a teva. The guy's serious. And still in all, they didn't think about this at all. Not at all. And uh, they called him a, like a crazy old man. So he got all kinds of, you know, bizyanot. They call him Bizayosava, Bizayosava. Right? And he repeats the prophecy, repeats the prophecy, they're not listening. And, uh, and even to the end, even when the rain starts coming, they want to destroy his ark. But Hashem sends wild animals, doesn't let them do this. Okay. So they don't listen. Fine. Okay, finally the flood stops. Okay, flood's over. Everybody who was on that boat knew exactly why the flood came. No doubt, there were eight humans who survived the flood. Is there any doubt for a moment that those eight human beings had any doubt why the flood came? Okay, good. So now, new civilization starts from those eight people. That was in what year? 1656. The year of our Lord, 1656. Right? That was the first flood, 1656. Okay. Now, so interesting, by 1948, 300 years later, which is a relatively short period of time considering how long the evil lasted, look what happened. They built a tower to fight against Hashem. So you imagine, you try to figure like just, and it's a mitzvah, the Pesachary says it's a mitzvah to, to um, uh, have, what do you call it, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, historical fiction. Torah doesn't give you all the details, but it's a mitzvah to try to theorize what the historical fiction based on what the Midrashim would have been. Okay, so you imagine a kid in the, Okay, 1656, 1948. So in the 1800s, those 1800s. Imagine a kid goes and curiously asks his father, I see a lot of mud over there. Uh, what's all that muddy area over there? Oh, that's still leftover damage from the marble. And the kid, but father, why did a marble come? So he says, well, you know, people did a lot of sins. Uh -huh. And what affairs did they do? Well, you didn't hear. They stole. They, they corrupted their ways. They did this and that. 
and, uh, and, and Dad, who brought the flood? It was Creator. Well, didn't he warn us about this thing? Sure he did. There was a strange old guy who built a big boat. He told us all there was going to be a flood. We have to do tshuva. But nobody listened. So the kids said, so what happened after that? So he said, well, it turned out that Noah was right and that the flood came. So the kids said, I'm trying to understand this. But right now we're doing exactly what the generation of the flood did. How do you explain this to me? So at this point, the father loses his patience. He gets angry. He says, you know what? You're too curious. You know, here's a dollar and go buy a chocolate bar and be quiet. <laughs> In other words, let's understand this. It wasn't that long ago. 1656. Wiped out completely. You only had eight survivors. So, you know, it must have taken a little bit of time till civilization grew. But it's not like it's something from thousands of years ago. Figure from 1656 to 1940 is less than 300 years ago. So let's look. What was 300 years ago? 1700s. That's not such a long time ago. Not such a long time ago. Could they be so foolish and think it won't happen again? So what's the answer? He says, were they foolish? They weren't foolish. They were megushamim. They were totally involved with physical pleasures. Right, A person who loves this world and everything you want in this world is fancy this, fancy this, all the pleasures of these lives and the physical pleasures of life and the desire of money and luxuries, it destroys the meta of truth that a person has that you can't even talk to him and he can't even learn anything from that. It doesn't, doesn't consider it like anything. And what was the generation of the Tower of Babel? What, what was on their minds? What were they doing? Were these not climate change fanatics? Yeah. Well, the statistics say that every 1,656 years, a flood comes. We have to do something to stop the flood. So what are we going to do? We're going to build a huge tower. And they did have, the, the Chazal tell us, they had the technology. You know, the technology in that day far surpassed what we have today. Whoa. Because they can do it with Kabbalistic things that we don't have anymore. Okay? And he says, he says, we are going to uh, hismoded. We're going to contend with the natural disasters of the world. Okay? So, so, like, wait a minute. This was not like a thousand years ago. It was 300 years ago. And obviously, they didn't just start 300 years before. The Tower of Babel took years and years to build until they got it to what it was. This was taking a long time to build. Did they learn one lesson? And that now is the, the interesting question. So why didn't Hashem send someone to tell them not to do it this time? The answer is no need to. No need to. Because I sent someone the first time and they didn't listen. And now I've... Not only that, but they know exactly what happened. It's not like there's even a doubt. But when you're told, you know, you got punished because you sinned. 
You violated the seven Noachite laws. You got destroyed because of that. So now, what are you doing? We're going to do the same thing. But don't you know you're going to get destroyed? You cannot talk. They're not foolish. They are Gashmias. And when you're totally involved with Gashmias, you said, we'll find a way out. You just don't want to hear the truth. It's interesting, Hashem Bar Yochai says in uh, the Zohar, when the Navi was telling about the destruction of the first base Hamigdash because of all the sins that they did, and if not, it's going to be destroyed. They said, yeah, but we know the names, the mystical names of all the angels. We know about the angel of fire and the angel of water. And if Hashem's going to want to burn us, we have incantations to subdue the angel of fire. And if he wants to drown us, we have incantations that could subdue the angel of water. <coughs> so we don't have to worry. It's just like in Los Angeles. We'll deal with it. So what did Hashem do? He switched the angel of fire with the angel of water and changed their names. So when they prayed to the angel of fire to not have fire, it was really the angel of water. And the angel of water, they prayed to not have fire, it was really the angel of fire. So with all their advanced technology, it still did not work. Now, what happens? And now, so what happened? The temple was destroyed, yeah? Just like the Navi said. Exactly the way the Navi said. So now what happens? They come back 70 years later, they're all married to Shiksus. Right? So you, you see that people who are all into the physical pleasures of this life, they're not capable of hearing any messages. Okay. So let's come out and answer now the question. One of the questions we asked also, why does Hashem not give the snake a chance? He said, why does he just go right after the snake, right? Well, one answer you could say is he was the perpetrator. So since he was the perpetrator, then he just doesn't deserve a chance. But based on what we're saying over here, first man, he didn't really admit that he sinned, but he... Like, you know, off, you know, indirectly kind of admitted it. And Chava also, like, did this well, you know, Hashem said, Did you sit? Well, well my, it's my wife's fault. No, it's the snake's fault. So they at least kind of, at least accepted that they did it. <clears throat> but, uh, but when it comes to the snake, he is the essence of Shekhar. The snake is the essence of lying. And when you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to deal with the truth, you don't engage them in any conversation. You don't ask them any questions. You take a stick and beat them. That's it. The snake itself is such a liar, is a distorter of the truth. He doesn't want to hear the truth. What do you mean you're going to start talking to him? And therefore, (laughs) that's the same reason Hashem says, I don't want to talk to you. I know how you work. At least, even though they're not going to take responsibility, they'll at least admit they did it. The snake is such a liar. What he told them, how he convinced them to, to sin and all that, the essence of the snake is Sheker. So you don't even, you just start off and just curse him. There's no other way to deal with him because you don't have a shred of truth. And that was the same thing with the Dor HaFloga. With all these people, therefore Shem doesn't send them anybody. Born Aaron says the Russia, even if he's standing at the gates of hell, will not do tshuva. Nothing can influence him. Okay. 
So, uh, so the question now is, so you, you begin to see, isn't this exactly happening in the world? Is, is it any different than this story <coughs> in any way, shape, or form? Is it, is it any different? No. People are sinning. The There's same. terrible things happening. And people are just not admitting to anything. But more than this, as we shall continue to see, not only that they don't accept it, but we're going to see they lie about everything. I'll cover up all the mistakes that they make. So the author over here says, I'm going to ask, so how can we get to a level of wanting to find out the truth? So he says, well, there's two things you got to do. If, number one, how about working at less indulgence in physical pleasures? Not to live a life of an aesthetic, but to take one indulgent away. A little, because it's, it's, a, it's a direct relationship between the amount of physical desires you have and the amount that you don't want to hear the truth. Right? It's a direct relationship. Because if you want to have pleasures, how can I listen to the truth if I can't have the pleasures? Right? And also to take away and to stay away from being jealous over other people uh, for things that they have. Because when you're jealous of other people, then, of course, you're going to do all kinds of things to, uh, to want to, uh, to lie and cheat. And so really, all these things that happen to the Dora Flaga, we're looking at the root of these things. And the roots are much more difficult than the actual Avera. And everything that's coming is as a result of um, the deeper, more rooted problems. Okay, so now this leads us to another issue over here. And to try to explain the issue of why they were so miserly, they're so rich and they still need a few more, less than pennies over here. You know, and you know what that kind of reminds me of? The airlines who nickel and dime you for this little extras. Yeah. It's not enough they charge you enough mm-hmm. for the seats. Well, if you want to pick your seats, another $20. And if you want a piece of luggage, it's another $20. It's like you're multi-billionaires. You're just picking in these little things over here. So it's a very interesting story that can give us an idea of what's going on. This is a, a great story. In B'nai Brak, it was Matsoi Rosh Hashanah 9. At 2017, maybe 2016, Tough Shana in 2016. Okay, so Rosh Hashanah, a lot of people visit their parents, their children in B'nai Brak. So after Rosh Hashanah, there's like thousands of uh, Hasidim that, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, they go to their Rebbe's, this and that. It's 11 o'clock at night after Rosh Hashanah, and they're at the bus stop in B'nai Brak. And there's tons of people waiting for the bus. It's the Kav 402, the number 402 bus to take them to your Shalim, from Bnei Brak to your Shalim. And there's a lot of people there, and they're asked, you know how it is by an Israeli bus stop, and there's like 50, 60 people, and the bus going to come. So they're waiting a few minutes, a 402 is coming by, and they're already jockeying for position to get in. The bus just goes right past. You know why? Uh-huh. Fall. Fall. They wait another 10, 15 minutes. Another 402 is coming. Jockeying for position. Drives right by. 
full bus. Three times, four times. It's, it's getting late now. It's like 12 o'clock. And, you know, kids are crying. You just can imagine what this is going on. You don't have your own car to just drive back. An Israeli bus and everything. Even when you get on the bus, it's, it's a whole story. Okay, anyway, after a little while, the 318 bus to Rehovot stops. Empty bus. Empty bus. He opens up, but nobody's going to Rehovot. They're going to Shalayim. So one of the passing, one of the people waiting turns to, remember Israelis, they're not shameful. They, they say, listen, Nahag, Nahag, there's nobody going to Rehovot. Maybe you do us a favor, change the sign from 318 to 402. So the bus driver says, Hishtagata? Have you gone crazy? You think I can decide? I'm supposed to take it to to what is the Rehovot? I'm going to take you to Shalim. I'm going to get I'm going to get fired. So I guess well, I wasn't serious. I'm just thinking maybe you know you could. And the, the bus driver's waiting. You know maybe someone wants to go to Rehovot. <laughs> Another passenger says Nahag. What does it matter to you change the way? So he softens up a little bit. He says, I would do it, but it's not up to me. Anyway, they start, uh, more people are bothering. Listen, do us a favor. We've been waiting for over an hour. All the buses are crowded. You know, Eggett is supposed to supply us with extra buses. Tomorrow, we're going to call up the people in charge and really let them have it. So the bus driver says, Shikhnatemoti. You convinced me. Talu. I'll take you to So he changes the number from 318 to 402. It's only 84 numbers. So now they're getting on the bus. And as they're paying, they're giving brachas to the bus driver. Oh, your mama said tzaddik, shana tova metuka. Your mama's unbelievable. You know, is you're a very fine person. The bus is full. It's going to your shalayim. And there's all kinds of discussion going on over there. Uh, you know, and then people are now... Hopefully it's a happy ending then. Don't, don't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so now everybody now on the bus is trying to take credit for this. They say, Hakol biskuti. I was the first one to ask him. The first one says, and the second one says, yeah, Hakol biskuti. It's all because of me. Because, uh, you know, he looked like you were crazy, but I tried to go anyway. And the third one says, oh, my zechut. Everyone's arguing who's, uh, who did a better job of convincing. We should get the thanks. Okay, the bus gets your shalayim. And now, of course, you have to make a few stops in this place and that place, all the way around, you know. Until you're getting up to the last stop, the last ones on the bus. 
So the last pastor gets up and says, really, I want to thank you for what you did. But I'm a little bit curious. How do you have the chutzpah to go against company policy? Tomorrow, they're going to find out and they're going to punish you right away. So now, if somebody would have asked him the question in the beginning, he may not have answered the question. But now he's the last driver. He says, I guess I could tell him the truth. He says, Do you think I put my job in danger? I would never do such a thing. But now that I'm on the last one, I can tell you the truth. I am the truth is, Eged heard about all those complaints in the main office. And they sent me as a 402. <laughs> but before I got to you, I switched it to 318. And now that I go to 318, there isn't going to be the big crowd to rush in. Yeah. <laughs> and now, instead of me coming in at 402 and you're all yelling and screaming at this, now, you know what? You're going to really love me. Because I really did you the biggest favor in the world. Who wanted the headaches? Can you imagine? I have 50 Israelis who've been waiting for an hour. And this poor driver... Who sent with a 402? It's gonna come in. It's gonna. They're gonna let him. Have all the anger they have that they want to give to the egg, they're gonna give it to this driver. Says, "What do I want that for? I just wrote 318, and now I'm a prince." <laughs> what a story! Okay, now. So it's a surprising. Okay, what's the connection? You're gonna to want to know why. Okay, so Rav Eli Melech Bitterman told over this story. And the take he took on the story is remember, everybody said it was Bishuti, it was in my honor. And the answer was, it wasn't in anybody's honor. The truth is, at the end, it was always the 402, and it was never the 318. So, a lot of times, people think it's in their schus, Hashem brings in good things. But the truth is, you don't do anything, it always came from Hashem. That's the way Rav Bitterman looks at it. But Rav Goel Al Karif Shlita. He tells the story and has a different spin on this. He said, let's think about this. If he took the 318 or the 402, the bus driver did the exact same thing. He gets to the station. He opens the door. The, 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 the travelers come on. They fill the bus, go to Shalim. But what was the difference? How come one time they would have been yelling at him and the other time not? He said this like this. He said, if he was a 402... Who chayav lavo? He has to come. That's his route. He has to do that. And if he doesn't do that, you should yell at him. But if he switches from three eighteen to four o two, he switches from being a person who's fulfilling an obligation to someone who's doing a favor. Not only doing a favor, but it appears he's putting himself in danger of losing his job, so he gets all the brachas in the world. And the second point he saves is, as we said before, if he comes in as the 402, everyone's going to let him have it. 
You don't let them have it. They're, they're crowded, they're upset, they're all these things. But now nobody complains. Because he wasn't chayiv to do anything for them. It was a big chesed that he did. Now, we know when we buy products in a store and you pay good money, if you buy it and something's a little bit wrong, you get upset. You know, a few years ago we bought, when we remodeled the kitchen all that, we got a brand new fridge. Okay, we paid for it. And when they delivered it, there was a nick on the front door. And my wife, who generally is not, you know, is, you know, complains a lot, but she was disturbed that brand new, it comes with a nick, <laughs> brand new, it's got a ding on it. And uh, she's, she's, you know, she's upset about that. And it like took two and a half years till we got a new one. I paid full price, I deserve this. But if someone's doing you a favor, if the guy says, you know, I can get you this, this fridge costs $5,000, I get you for two and a half thousand. So it has a little nick, you're not gonna complain. I've saved yeah. a lot of money. Right. So now, Rav Al-Karif says like this. He says, let's come to the point of this whole story. And let's ask ourselves a question. On which line are we traveling through life? Are we on the Kav 402 or the Kav 318? When I go through my life, do I feel I'm on the 402 and God is obliged to do these things for me? Or am I in the 318? The guy didn't have to, God didn't have to do this for me, but he went out of his way to do this for me. He should be on the 318. Okay. So let's think for a minute. You get up in the morning, Baruch Hashem, you're healthy, you had a good night's sleep. You make the bracha, Pokeach Ivrim, Shasoli Kol Right? We can breathe, we can do all these things. And more than that, Hashem makes us think that we're doing it on our own so we shouldn't feel like we're getting handouts from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the question is, when we're looking at our travel in life, which bus line are you on? That's the mashal of the story. And therefore, to be happy with what you have. And now this, and, and therefore to use your time the way Hashem wants you to, to use your time. Rav Shlomo Radomsk says, he says, a tzaddik, all he wants in this world is to cling to Hashem, to serve Hashem, learn Torah, and do mitzvahs. Ah, he doesn't have a choice. Okay, he has to do parnosa, but he feels bad having to close the Gemara. Because, okay, I have to take care of what I have to do for this little tent of this world. The Russia, he also feels sorry, but he feels sorry is when he has to go to shul, he feels bad, and he's happy when he can leave shul early and go to work. Because that's his main life. So he says that was a difference between Cain and Hevel. By Hevel it says he was a Roet song, and Cain was an Oved Adama. We said that. By Hevel it said Vayehi. Remember Vayehi? Morris says Vayehi is a Loshan Tsar, is a Loshan of pain. By Cain it says Vahaya is a Loshan of Simcha. By Hevel it says Hevel was a Roet song, Vayehi, he was a Roet song. You know why it was painful for him? Because he wanted to be able to sit and learn Torah. So by a hero and so on, if he had to get up and then go to work, it was painful for him. Because he knew the best thing he could do was learn Torah, but never he has to work. Well, Cain, he said, I got to leave shul early, you know, because I got to work. He's happy to leave shul early. He really wouldn't want to be in shul at all, but he's a Jew, he has to be in shul. 
So therefore, that's the point. A person who is totally sunken in physicality will never be satisfied with what he has. Mm-hmm. He who has 100 wants 200, etc., etc. The door was full of Shefa Ubracha. But since they were people who were, had houses and wanted to have physical benefits, so no amount is enough. And therefore, if I can even get a free grape, I'll take a free grape. It's coming to me. And we're making multi-billions of dollars, we'll charge another $20 to pick their seat. Just to pick their seat, another $20. You're making multi-billion dollars over here. Another $20 to pick up the seat. There's no end to the pleasures that you want. So when the Torah says, what sealed the deal on them? What sealed the deal is they stole. What they stole? Something even worth less than a penny. So what does that mean? It showed they were living lives of physicality. They did not appreciate the gifts that Hashem was giving them. And they think it's coming to me. And if it's coming to me, I should have everything I want. And so far it goes that your mom is so cheap, even on this little thing, you have to get a little more. Another tax break, another tax break. Okay, tax breaks are one thing, stealing from others. But, you know, this, this whole idea, you know, you buy, you notice you're buying food and you're buying whatever comes in a package. And the package was like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a hun- uh, what do you call it, 100 grams. And then the same package, you didn't notice, is now 90 grams. But it still costs. So we're holding the line on inflation. We're holding the line on inflation. We haven't raised our prices in three years. But what was 120 grams is now 60 grams. You see, it's, it's these pennies. And, and it just can't, they can't not get away with it. They say Ravari Levine, he told a story. People wanted to know the secret of his Sholem bias. He was famous for Sholem bias. He said, I'll tell you one thing. When we first got married, I told my wife four things. He said, want to have a bracha of a good marriage? Let's accept upon ourselves four rules. He said to his wife, number one, let us be happy with our portion and be satisfied with what we have. And for Ravari Levine to say this in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s meant they'd even go without food. Okay, number two, never to complain. Okay? Wow. Or, or to ever complain of like, oh, too bad I didn't get this or too bad I didn't get that. Number three, never raise your voice. And number four, our whole life is all based on being mevater. Those were the four things. And if we have a life like that, we'll have a beautiful marriage. So it was. So they did have a beautiful marriage. So, okay, so now we've taken another step over here. We're seeing if your main life is to live in the house, to have a permanent life here, what happens? You want a lot of physicality. You don't really want to be engaged in spiritual things. And you feel it's coming to you. You feel you're on the number 402 line instead of the number 318 line. And therefore, you have an insatiable desire for things, no matter how, and, and you'll find legal ways to not have to pay. It's more that... They were doing it. It was all legal. No, let's let's change that. Illegal things, but in out in the public, legal. After all, go take me to court. These big companies, they don't pay. Take us to court. We could tie you up in court for years, and no justice will happen. I never did anything illegal. They never convicted me. 
Do you have that at, at, at all in this world? Of course. Okay, and it's, and it's the rich ones want to get richer and richer and richer, and they do things. Go, go ahead and sue me. I, I, I never got a conviction. So in the, uh, the flood generation, they never got a conviction either. No convictions. But behind closed doors is when they were doing all these th disgusting things. But out in public, it's all legal. It's all legal. You can't take us to court. Okay. So now let's take it another step. I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. So let's go to the uh, let's go to the teva. Why was it called a teva? So let's look in source thirteen. And the Zohar says teva. If you rearrange the letters, spells bayit Hashem, base Hashem. The house of Hashem. Okay. And the messenger Margit explains that this was the quintessential um, what, uh, tent. While the whole world was being destroyed, now we got this tent over here. And the messenger Margit says when it talks about the dimensions of the boat, 30 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits, he explains the Zohar and says, if you look at the letters, the gematrias of 300 is shin, 50 is nun, and 30 is lamed, you scramble the letters, it spells the word lashon, a tongue which has to do with speech. And now we can understand why the word, it's called a teva. He walked into a place of pure speech. Place of sp pure speech. Teva. Okay, and um, it, it was a place where HaKadosh Baruch Hu would be. The rest of the world kicked Hashem out. This is a place, a base Hashem. And from the, from the measurements, we could understand what kind of a place Hashem wanted it to be. A place of pure speech, a place of honesty. And that's why the pre, uh, the 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 Reb Kakoin explains when we said that lesson when they're building the Tevi. He says he brought that which was which was tahor, and that which was what that was was not tahor. And from here we learn you have to speak properly. Why is this the place where we have to speak properly? Because the whole point of this is because the whole world was not speaking. Now, what, is, what do you have to do if you believe that this is the main world and this is the world you have to have all the pleasures in life and that whatever you have is not enough? What is one thing you must do to get everything you want in life? Complain. What? I mean, people who want more. Yeah, what do you have to do? They complain. Complain. Or but demand. ultimately, you lie. You distort the truth. You don't live in the truth. Because what's the real truth? The real truth, you're not supposed to steal. <laughs> real truth is what the Torah says. The real truth is, tell everybody, you're not holding the line of inflation. As a matter of fact, we are charging you 100% more while inflation is only 10%. We haven't charged you more, but we made the package half the size. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you tell the truth? But the truth, it's very inconvenient. It's, there's no coincidence between the direct relationship between a person who wants to have ultimate pleasures in life 
and this is your whole world. So, so whatever it takes, you get this. So what's the first thing that goes is the truth. The Navi says, you better than Shuva, God's going to destroy you. You know what? It happened before already. Your little kid says, I don't understand. There was a flood. Dad, why are we doing the same thing? Go get a chocolate bar and leave me alone. The truth is very uncomfortable for such people. And therefore, you must always find lies that surround that. And the Torah is completely true. The person who totally is involved in wanting physical pleasures, it doesn't even occur to him to do tshuva. It doesn't occur to him because why does he want Torah? Why does he want guidance? Torah is something for someone who has a, a much broader vision of what life is. A more spiritual life. And you want everything that's physical, well, the certain things you just cannot have in this world. We cannot have God in this world. We cannot have the word of God. And we certainly do not want the truth. Because we'd have to tell the truth. How are we going to really make money? So I don't, we can go back to Corona. We can go back to all these things. That it's, all, it's all coming out now. Really always existed. We went into World War I. We went into World War II. Not because we cared about other countries. There was big business who profited from all this. Big businesses that profited this. Every war the United States has gone in was never for, alti- for altruistic reasons. Never. It was all for making more money. How many millions of Americans died in World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam? Has nothing to do with anything. It's money. Why is the United States in Ukraine? Has nothing to do about democracy. That's the last thing. They're destroying their own country. But the, the munitions companies, who are the ones who are supporting and putting these people in office, they're the ones making all the money. Why does that even care that people have to tell them what they're spending their money on? It's, 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 just, it's this corruption of the highest level. And, and then they lie about all these things over here. And that's what the Medrash said before when we talked about those who lie in the Medrash in source number seven. Who will be one who destroyed the ones who lied? That is the generation of the flood. Because they can't, it, you cannot lie and be able to survive and have all those pleasures happen to you. And that's why when we talk about the bris, the covenant, we said there's two things about the covenant, the way you speak and the way you act um, morally. are very much combined. So they all come together in one package. You love a lot of physical pleasures. The way you speak isn't the last thing you say is the truth. You're involved in all kinds of immoral types of behavior. And look at every everything that's being pushed. The transgender... Uh, this, it's all lies to people. Everything is a lie. What's going on in the world with the war against Eretz Yisrael? It's all lies. From the beginning to the end, it's all lies. And it's interesting, the word mabul, if you take the first letters, maves v'chayim beyond haloshon. Death and life is in the hand of the tongue. So this parsha is mamish speaking to us. No, so what's the solution? The solution is those who have the homes will be destroyed. There has to be destruction. Those who have the tents will survive. You want to know who's on what side? Look who's lying. Look who's willing to hear reason. There's no way, you you have to understand, there's no way the people who are in favor of Palestine, on the one hand, and even the democratic countries on the other hand, 
Neither of them have an interest in Eretz Yisrael. United States could not care about Eretz Yisrael. France, Russia, Germany, none of them care about Eretz Yisrael. The Palestinians don't care about Israel. None of them. They all got agendas. One thing you always know about Biden, he always lies. And if he says, I'm fully supportive of Israel, it means I'm not. You have to know that's what it means. He has never said a truth in his life. You follow what's going on over here? Yes, and because of him, yeah, he gave $6 billion to Iran, and interestingly, all of a sudden, I'm going to We could go on and on and on, but I think this is very clear. The world is coming to this point where the great end is going to happen sooner or later. And you have to realize that except for those who are in Torah, and I saw a beautiful, beautiful, just a minute, beautiful, short five-minute video from a kid from Hamilton who's in the army, and he discusses the Kedusha that the Torah says has to be in the camp. Torah says you have, to, you have to take a shovel with you so in case you have to go to the bathroom, you can cover it up. Oh. He says, he says in, their, in their battalion, he says, that the commander says, no nevil peh, no dirty words. You go to an American army, they talk and swear to words everything. He says, I feel I'm in a place of Kedusha. In my tank is a place of Kedusha. Because that's the world of the truth. That's their teva. So this is what it boils down to. Either you're on Noah's side, you're on the teva side, and you and you have the Torah that can arouse us to the truth. But don't expect the rest of the world will listen to any truths. Don't even hope for that, because the the, the Torah is saying they're not going to because they can't. They can't change their minds, and they can't tell the truth, and they want to take every penny they can from you. That's their modus operandi. And yet, somehow, at the end of the day, who survives? The teva survives. Nothing else survives. So nothing to worry about. The whole world can be destroyed, but the teva will stay. As long as you make sure to put yourself in the table, you'll be able to, to survive. Okay, shukaya, everybody. <laughs>